Okay, so this subject of Jesus being obedient unto death, it has to do with Jesus' uh, attitude, it has to do with Jesus' posture, as well as the action. So what is being obedient unto death? Okay, before we go there, how many of us know the origin of Good Friday? Why is Good Friday called Good Friday? What is so good about this Friday where our Lord went through the sufferings, He was flogged, He was mocked, He was crucified. What is so good about Good Friday and why is it called Good Friday? There are many theories with regards to how Good Friday uh, got its name. It is like uh, back in the old days, you know, the old English, uh, when we say goodbye, goodbye actually, uh, the original uh, statement is God be with ye. Ye is you in the old English. God be with ye. So imagine every time when you say goodbye to somebody in the old days, you know, they would say God be with ye, God be with ye. So they shorten it to goodbye. So in the same way, Good Friday is actually God's Friday. But they change God's Friday to Good Friday because it is this Friday where God's wrath fell on our Lord Jesus Christ. Every stroke that He took upon His back, He took it for you and He took it for me. And that's why after that, the leaders of the church, and, and even as tradition has it, they changed it to Good Friday because it was truly a Friday which was good for us because it was a day where God opened the way for us to be reconciled back to Him. So that is a little bit about Good Friday. So to understand the first topic, if, if I can have the slides, on humility, we have to first understand Christ's uh, pre-existence before becoming a man. You see, before Christ came to earth and took the form of man, He was already pre-existent together with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. If you are familiar with scriptures and you read in the book of Genesis, what did the three Godheads say to one another, they say, let us make man in our image. So Christ has already, Christ is already pre-existing even before uh, we know time as we know today. So in this slide, you see that Jesus, although he was a son from the beginning, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. The cup of suffering was not removed from him, even as Jesus prayed that to be so, as he desired that not his, but his Father's will be done. So in order to understand the humility of Jesus, we have to first understand that he is, he has been with the Father and the Holy Spirit since the beginning of time. 
And before he took on the form of man, he was already with the Father. So there is no issue with regards to obedience because they were working in unison with one another. The triune God who has been in existence since before time, they were together already. It was until the time when Jesus said, yes, I will come. I will come as a man to die for our creation, human beings. It is then that he humbled himself and come as a man. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says, Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So Jesus, being the Son of God from the very beginning, before he became man, imagine he was made sin for you and for me, so that we, who are the sinners who should be hanging on the cross, and that is actually our rightful place on that cross. Jesus became sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what we call the divine exchange, where Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sins. And we took on his righteousness because our sins has been taken away by our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean by Jesus becoming a man? Did he stop becoming God? No. Jesus becoming a man was not a seizing of what he had been previously but a taking on. And in Philippians 2 verse 7 that we have read, it is a taking on of human flesh and blood. The fully divine son took on full humanity on his personhood. So this was the divine exchange of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was truly humble because he didn't seek his own desires but that of God the Father, and was willing to lower himself. Paul wrote in Galatians 4 verse 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. He was sent forth, he sent forth his own divine Son to be human, and in the sacrifice of his Son, God did what we humans could not do for ourselves. And by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Romans 8 verse 3. So what about us? Are we willing to do likewise? To humble ourselves in relation to others? I remember many years ago uh, when I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. So uh, at 17, I took my Form 5 exams 
And back then, if you just get a pass for Bahasa Malaysia, straight away you get a grade 2. I don't know whether it's still the same nowadays. Is it the same? Street? No. So you got a pass, you still can get grade 1. So back in those days, if you just get a pass for Bahasa Malaysia, you straight away get grade 2. So I was the first Christian in my family. And I remember back then when uh, I got the grade 2 and I wanted to do Form 6. So my father said, yeah, you go to church, you are a Christian. Uh, because of that, you see, it didn't do well. You know, uh, parents always find the, the worst excuse uh, to, to ban you from going to church. So I, I didn't, uh, I was not given an opportunity to do A-levels, although I wanted to. So I was very angry. I was angry with myself. I was angry with the church. I was angry with God. And what I'm going to tell you now may shock some of you. I was so angry with God that I literally tore a Bible. And when I did that, it was like, wow, what did I do? You know, I was so angry with God because it was like, no, God, I... I I mean, I suffer for you in that sense, you know, uh, being uh, reprimanded, being, in a way, inverted commas, persecuted for being a Christian. And here am I, you know, not given a chance by my parents to further my studies. And after tearing the Bible, I actually packed my bags and ran away from home because the pressure from home was terrible. Uh, I was only 18 then, uh, so narrow street people, please close your ears. Don't follow my example, okay? So, I was very angry with God. I was not humble before Him. But God brought me back, yeah? God brought me back. And brothers and, and my Sunday school teachers, they brought me back. And, and they reconciled me back to my parents. And of course, uh, parents being parents, so I, I, I managed to do my A-levels and further my studies, and after I worked in the bank, and the rest was history. So what I'm trying to say is that for me, during that time, I thought that I committed the unpardonable sin. Imagine tearing a Bible. But God, in His grace and mercy, forgave me. And like Christ's humility, how can we human beings emulate his humility? I mean, we hear stories. I mean, you would have read stories like the prince and the pauper. I mean, that story is just the prince changing identity with the pauper. But here, Jesus took on humanity, took on the form of man. And this is the kind of humility none of us on planet Earth can ever uh, reach this mark of humility that our Lord Jesus Christ has done. If you talk about Gautama Buddha, although he was a prince, he left the palace you know, to, to be among the poor, just to have a taste of what it is to suffer, and he was looking uh, for nirvana. 
But is that really humility? But here is Christ and His humility led to His obedience and His obedience begets reverence that what He wanted to do and what He aims to do when He came is that not His will to be done, but only the Father's to be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That is the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was his posture. And next was his attitude. What was Jesus' attitude? His attitude was one of obedience. In Hebrews 5 verse 8, he said that although he was a son, can we have the slide please? Hebrews 5 verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Remember, Jesus was of equal standing with God the Father and in perfect unity as a member of the triune God. Obedience was never a subject amongst God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So as such, when Jesus became a man, he had to learn obedience because now he has to adhere to all that the Father requires of him, and that is to die for the sins of mankind. This is a very powerful verse in the sense that although the pre-incarnate Son coming now in the form of human flesh, he had to learn obedience. Imagine the Son of God having to learn obedience so that he can fulfill what the Father set him to do. And this is God's word. Can we go back to the previous slide? Hebrews 5 verse 8, this is in the word of God. It says that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. If the Son of God needs to learn obedience, what about us? So he's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and having accomplished his task, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is the obedience of God. And what, this, what did the obedience of God lead to? What is the result of this obedience? Jesus' obedience brought us salvation. So Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. And our part, if we obey Him, we receive salvation. We have eternal rest. The work has been done. Jesus' obedience earned us eternal salvation. Our obedience, what we need to do when we obey, we will receive salvation. We will have eternal rest. So this is a win situation for us. 
it is a win-win situation in the sense that God's desire to reconcile back with man was fulfilled because of Jesus' obedience. And in John 14 verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And 1 Samuel 15 verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. When I first became a, a full-time pastor, of course, there are sacrifices to be made. And I think some of you would have heard my story that I wrestled with God. I struggled because uh, I was holding quite a high position in, in the bank, uh, being an executive vice president. And the call of God on my life, I was like putting it further and further back from my mind. And although, yes, I did make sacrifices, I took a major pay cut by coming full-time, uh, uh, joining SIBKL as a full-time pastor. But after being a full-time pastor for several months now, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord keep reminding me it is not so much your sacrifices that I am pleased with. Like in this verse, can we go back to the previous verse in 1 Samuel, that obedience is better than sacrifice. And the Lord said to me that I am more happy with regards to your obedience rather than the sacrifices that you made. Yes, it was a sacrifice for me to come full-time. But behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So the quality of Christ's obedience sets the standard which Christians must adhere or must measure theirs. J.I. Packer, our obedience to God is directly proportional to our love for Him. Even in the way we raise our kids, how many of you, we want our kids to obey us like robots? You know, I say this, you do this, you know, I say that, you do that, you know. I don't think we want our kids to be like robots, right? But in the same way that we raise our kids, we desire that our kids obey us because they love to because they respect us, because they want to honour us, because we have been their friends. We have journeyed with them rather than be a tyrant and say, you do this, you do that, and they have to obey. And that is not what God intended to be as well. So in the same way that Christ's obedience was undergirded by His love for His Father and the quality of His obedience sets the standard by which we Christians must measure ours. So, Jesus, the next slide, please. Jesus chose obedience over his position and authority. He does what the Father requires of him. So, this is the attitude that Jesus had. He obeyed God the Father even to the point of death. And the next 
which is his action. The next slide, please. In Romans 6.23, it says that, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why should death and hell be the inevitable result or payment for sin and evil? It is because of the nature of God. He is holy and righteous, and as such, He must punish sin. Imagine if you have a God who closed one eye to our sins. Boys will be boys, you know. Uh, you know, narrow street people will be narrow street people, you know. They will misbehave a bit, you know. Even the older folks, uh, they will misbehave a bit here and there. I can let go, you know, close one eye. Imagine if you have a God like that. Would you worship such a God? Would you respect, honour such a God? Sin has got to be punished. And it's very clear that because of the nature of God, that He is both holy and righteous, and sin has got to be paid. And in Romans 6, we've read, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Philippians 2 verse 7 to 8, it says, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's, criminal's death on the cross. Nowadays, the righteousness of God is one that has been underplayed by our generation, but Christ paid the price for it. A lot of us, we like to hear messages of how God bless and bless and bless, love us, love us, only love us and bless. You know, it's like God is like a big Santa Claus, always blessing us. But we fail to realize that God requires of us to be holy, to be righteous, and Jesus paid a price for it so that we can be the righteousness of God. And in John 10 verse 18, this is truly Christ's action when He lowered Himself to the lowest point and He said that no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. In fact, Jesus need not have to come to die. He could have sent a substitute, somebody to die on behalf of us. But He came and He was the one who chose to lay down his life for us. In Romans 5 verse 8, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is how different God is with us human beings. I mean, for us parents, we always tell our children, you behave first, you want something, you score me the eight A's, then I'll give you that something. 
You know, you behave first, then only I give you that. But here in Romans 5 verse 8, what did we just read? God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, not when we were good, when we behave, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in John 10 verse 18, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down. Sorry, we have read this. Uh, John 15 verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. And in Romans 5 verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So what this verse means is that that one man, Adam, the first man who sinned, if by the trespass of that one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more, can I have this slide please? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In one verse in, in the passage in Scripture, it says that where sin abounds, grace so much more abounds. And this is exactly what the sacrifice of Christ did for us. When He died for us on the cross, His grace is greater than all the death and the sin which reigned from that first man. And in the next verse, when Jesus cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It means God really did forsake him. And Jesus bore our sins. He bore our judgment. The judgment was to have God the Father pour out his wrath and instead of pouring it out on us, God pours it on Jesus. He gave him up to suffer the weight of all the sins of his people and the judgment of those sins. If you remember the story of Elijah, when he sacrificed on the altar, he took 12 stones and placed the bull on the altar. And he asked the prophets to fill barrels of water, three barrels to pour on the, the altar and the sacrifice. And when he prayed, God's fire came down and licked up even the water, even the stones vanished and the sacrifice was consumed by the fire. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he said that it is finished, it is really everything that he has done on the cross, he has fully satisfied what the Father has sent him to do. And his sacrifice is for eternity. 
Back in those days, when people sin, they have to keep on sacrificing. But here, when Christ cried, it is finished. It is truly the complete work of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can ever do to add to this salvation, to this gift that the Lord has given us. So even as we remember the Lord Jesus this Good Friday, the final obedience of Christ in His death is sufficient to justify His people as the climax of a sinless life. Because He was sinless, He was that perfect sacrifice. So the next slide in summary, the humility of Jesus Christ, His posture, was undergirded by love. Humility equals love. His obedience, which is His attitude, was also undergirded by love. And His action, His death on the cross, was truly marked by His love for us. And truly, Jesus' love is stronger. And may this song minister to us even as I bring it to you. Never was love so tender Never was love so strong even in His surrender, His love would carry on. And as His heart was breaking, He was mending lives. And as He hung there dying, he was giving us life. So when you are tired and empty, when you can't run any longer, He'll take you to the finish, cause His love is stronger. Never was love so humble Never was love so brave The chains of death all crumble As love rolled the stone away And as He reigns in glory He's still mending lives And when your heart is dying He can give you new life So when you are tired and empty When you can't run any longer 
take you to the finish Cause His love is stronger Take my hand as I take His We will finish together Holding on to His every word His promise is forever So when you are tired and empty When you can't run any longer He'll take you to the finish Cause His love is stronger His love is Right now, can I ask the communion men to prepare themselves uh, even as we do communion together? Let's quieten our hearts even as we remember what the Lord has done for us. And even as we partake communion together, Can proceed. Communion men. <laughs> 